How do Christians grow? Some people might answer by suggesting you pray more, do more good things, learn more about Jesus, or get better at resisting sin. And these are certainly part of the Christian's life of faith. Every one thing I just mentioned, though, falls short of giving us lasting spiritual growth. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Great Stories Podcast. And today, I want to share with you a conversation I had with author and pastor Dane Nortland. He maintains that Christian growth only takes place when you bring what you do and say and even feel into line with what, in fact, you already are, united with Christ. Then after you listen to the podcast, you may want to learn more about Dane's new book on the topic called Deeper, Real Change for Real Sinners. You can read or listen to a sample chapter when you come visit us at haventoday.org. But for now, let's get started by introducing you to my friend and brother in Christ in Chicago, Dane Ortland. Welcome to Haven Today, and I'm Charles Morris, and we are going to Chicago in the wintertime. A good friend of mine, uh, I always think I'm talking to his late grandfather whenever I meet with Dane Ortland, who is a pastor now outside Wheaton in the western suburbs, but uh, he was with Crossway Books, and he was in charge of the ESV Bible for a number of years. Dane, my brother in Christ, welcome back to the program. Charles, it is always a joy to speak with you. Thank you, brother. <laughs> and nobody else but me gets to say you sound exactly like your grandfather. And, and, and of course, you sound like your dad, too, you know, who uh, inherited uh, the same vocal cords, I guess, genetically. I don't know. Well, anyway, here we are. It's middle January. A lot of people are beginning to feel very down, very depressed. We've been encouraging people to read the Bible all the way through with us. In fact, I've been encouraging people that listen to this program to do it with me in 90 days, which is what I'm doing right now. But let's start our time together going back. You have a new book out. We'll tell people about that book. But let's go way back to a book that had a profound impact on the great evangelist George Whitfield. But then on you as a pastor now in Chicago. So tell me about this book, Henry Skugel. I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Yeah, Henry Skugel, The Life of God in the Soul of Man is the title of the book. Really, it was a letter, Charles, that Skugel wrote the year before he died, and he died when he was 29. My. So um, back in the 1600s, a letter to a discouraged friend who wasn't getting any traction in, in his walk with God. And Skugel wrote this book, and uh, yeah, George Whitfield, the famous evangelist, got a hold of it uh, in the next century and said something like, I never knew what real Christianity was till I read this <laughs> excellent treatise. <laughs> and the point of the book is simply that uh, the, the point of this letter that Skugel wrote, Charles, is simply that um, authentic Christianity, real spirituality, is not simply believing rightly with your head, nor simply behaving rightly with your hands, nor simply feeling rightly with your heart. <laughs> but all three are involved. But it's right. actually a union of your soul with God. 
And that anything less than that is like trying to water the branches of the tree instead of the root. So that's the point of the book. It's wonderful. Mm. Now, I hope everyone listening will begin to click with us on this. How does this flow out of me trying to get our listeners to join me in reading the Bible cover to cover? Uh, uh, I've met Christians before who had all their, you know, T's crossed and I's dotted correctly, and and, uh, they had read the Bible many times, and they could answer just about any question. And yet these three areas that you just outlined that impacted George Whitfield and obviously impacted you, um, just talk to me about this. How, How does this flow into our Christian life? You're right, Charles, of crossing our T's and dotting our I's doctrinally, theologically matters, matters tremendously. Yes. uh, So it's necessary, but not sufficient. We need it, but it's not enough. What we want, what we want is life. What we want is is vitality, uh, radiance. And, um, And actually, we can believe rightly or behave differently by just gutting our way through it or Mm -hmm. even, you know, pursuing sensory experience in corporate gathered worship or something and all all that's great that's good wonderful but you could do any of that um, without actually growing on the inside so what we want what we want to do uh, i mean the point of this book that we're talking about today is simply what we want is to see jesus with what ephesians 1 calls as the eyes of our heart we want to see christ and then actually growth change transformation floats in the back door (laughs) when we're not even really looking if we look at change we are looking at ourselves if we look at christ we are lifting our eyes off of ourselves and looking at him and change comes in the back that's my fundamental understanding from the scripture of how we grow as believers so what i hear you saying is just quit trying but then don't do, it will happen. But how does it happen? Yeah, well, y- yes and no. I mean, I, I would say growth. First of all, Charles, I want to say this is nothing formulaic or mechanical that we're talking about. We're talking about growing right. in Christ. How do you or right. I, as a believer, how does someone united to Christ actually begin to grow and get transformed? And I don't want to be simplistic. I understand we're all wired differently. I understand we all have different families we grew up in, etc. But I, what I want to say, brother, is our growth is a matter of melting, not crowbarring. Uh, we are not saying that there's no effort. I mean, spiritual perspiration, if I can put it that way <laughs> reverently, is all over the New Testament. I labor, struggling with all his energy, Colossians 1. I worked harder than any of them, 1 Corinthians 15. Yes, yes and amen. But it's not, uh, how can we say this? My, my effort is not the core engine of my growth. It's a steering wheel, or how could we say my, uh, uh, how about this? It is clear from the New Testament that we do exert ourselves in growing. Okay, but it's not the case that we grow in the same way that Benjamin Franklin tried to grow in Mm. morality, where he listed out 13 virtues temperance, mm-hmm. frugality, industry, cleanliness, chastity, etc. And then what he did is, I'm going to knock this one out uh, on the list this week. And once I have that one down, I'll move on to number two next week. 
at the end of a period of time, I've got all these 13 virtues. Perfectly I'm perfect. perfect. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and of course, we know he was a fool. You know, he, was. <laughs> uh, he never he never mastered any of those that he listed right. on that list, did he? Right. Well, in, in, in this new book that uh, that just came out recently, and by the way, the name of the book is Deeper, but then the subtitle is Real Change for Real Sinners. Uh, I'm not sure sure I want to get into me being a real sinner, but we'll 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 we'll, we'll get there in a little bit. Of course, I know. Um, it, in your book, maybe maybe it would help if we talk about you quoting C.S. Lewis. Um, he wrote an essay, Three Kinds of Men, and I thought that was very helpful. And it does get into this growing in Christ that you're trying to encourage me and others through your new book. Um, tell me about what Lewis wrote. What are the three kinds of, of men or humans, as we might be told to say today? Right. Amazing, amazing essay. And for any reader who is not familiar with it, it's worth reading once a day for a month and building it into our psychology. What he says in two pages, Charles, two-page mm. essay. <laughs> is simply there are not two kinds of people in the world, those who obey the rules and those who disobey the rules, the religious, the irreligious. Rather, there are three kinds of people. Person number one, those who, the, the irreligious, they toss out all the rules, they live any old way they want, they mm -hmm. say, I'm not going to try to follow conscience or the Bible or any other faith system. Okay, person number one. Person number two, this is the person, Lewis says, who tries to keep the rules, who tries to obey whatever they believe they should be obeying. Maybe it's the Ten Commandments. Maybe it's the ethics of Jesus. Maybe it's their own conscience, whatever. But they do it, Lewis says, like tax paying. They do it like uh, hoping that once they have uh, obeyed these rules or laws, that there will be enough left over for them to live on. <laughs> and he says, actually, he says, most of us are operating in that kind of way all the time without even realizing it. But he says, for the third kind of person, they have stopped negotiating that. They've stopped saying, okay, I'm going to live God's way for this, for, the, for this part of my day, and then hopefully I can live my way. They have collapsed into the arms of God. They have said, like Philippians 1, to live as Christ, and um, they've thrown out the taxpaying kind of obeying. And this is actually mm -hmm. what the New Testament gives us for mm -hmm. what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Hmm. Uh, that could easily lead me into uh, that subtitle of your <laughs> of your book. Um, why is it I don't like to see myself as a sinner? Why is it hard for me to approach the throne of grace every day as a sinner in need of grace? Uh, I, I want to just think I've got it all together. I, I wish I were Benjamin Franklin, even though Benjamin Franklin could never accomplish what he thought he could accomplish you and me both brother and uh, yeah we the reason that we don't like to think of ourselves as sinners is that we are sinners martin lloyd jones said we have a reflex the very disease of sin itself prevents us from feeling the weight of the horror of the disease <laughs> that's mm. one of the symptoms of it and he um, was a doctor yes <laughs> he was, exactly he was a doctor that's right and um so yeah the subtitle real change for real sinners was very carefully chosen because what I'm trying to say there is uh, real change for real sinners as opposed to um, behave, merely behavioral change for theoretical sinners. 
Um, I am a sinner. I, 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 I not only believe in the doctrine of original sin as infecting Dane's life, I also prove that doctrine <laughs> every day <laughs> in how I actually am going through life. So um, I, want, I just want to um, be totally transparent in this book and say, can we all agree and admit that even as regenerate, as born-again believers, we are desperately, desperately self-entrenched, self-absorbed, and cannot break out of it on our own steam. And let's be honest about that. And let's let God's um, redeeming, transforming grace radiate way down deep into the cracks and crevices of our our true and deepest uh, sinfulness. Mm. Dane, you've been a pastor now for like two years. When you and I first met maybe 10 years ago, you didn't think you were ever going to be a pastor. You thought you were going to be uh, working for a Christian publishing house and going around and speaking at conferences and things. You did a lot of that. Um, But now that you're a pastor, have you seen Jesus uh, and the grace of Jesus really get inside somebody? Not talking about yourself, but maybe somebody else where you've just seen them, you've seen them become alive uh, with the gospel. Oh, wow. Yes, we are. God is Aslan is on the move at our local <laughs> church, and God is doing a new work. And uh, so actually, several people are coming to mind at the moment. Uh, Charles, one brother I'm thinking of, um, has written for the last, I don't know, three months or so, every Monday morning, whether I preach or my fellow pastor here at the church, whoever preached, he will send us a money, Monday morning lengthy email mm. of encouragement to us and saying how it is helping uh, uh, heal his own inner dysfunctions. And in his first couple of letters, what he was saying is, I I thought that I knew the gospel, and I've been a believer for many years, but he acknowledged that he has been flying off the handle in anger in his home uh, Mm. with his wife and kids. That's honest. Mm. I can Mm. relate to that. Mm-hmm. And um, and he said, "This is uh, th- th- this good news that we are basking in, um, in a sort of a clearer way than we have in years past at the church, is is um, is is radiating, is is illuminating the the true inner state of my soul and showing me my desperate need and what how how Christ meets that need." So there's a guy who actually, he's, he's coming alive. He feels worse. I mean, he feels more convicted than ever. He feels like, oh, I'm realizing for the first time what a train wreck I am actually mm. on the inside. And I look at him, and I am just seeing glory that he is under, he's having that self-awareness, and then he's having the courage to speak it to other men mm-hmm. in his church, mm-hmm. which is just has the Holy Spirit written all over it. The devil doesn't want him getting honest about who he is. And so he feels like he's just vulnerable and kind of naked in terms of his own spiritual state to other others, but he is getting real traction for the first time in his life. It's glorious. Mm, mm. That's a good, uh, thank you very much for, for sharing that with me. If you just joined us, you're listening to Haven Today, uh, Dr. Dane Ortland, a pastor in Western Chicago suburbs is with us. He's been on the program before and he's got a new book out. And the book is called Deeper, Real Change for Real Sinners. 
Jane, we, we, we're having you on, not just because you wrote a book called Deeper, How to Grow in Christ, but it's because I need to grow in Christ. And I think everybody listening to this program, whether they've never met Christ or whether they've already met Christ, needs to grow in Christ. Yeah. Um, talk to me about that. But then there's something you do in your new book where you go back to this, this, this doctrine that is justification, and you take growing in Christ and take us back again to justification. Yeah, yeah. Well, justification is a glorious doctrine. It's a big, long word, but it's a glorious doctrine that just means that we are, we are free to leave the courtroom. God mm-hmm. has brought his gavel down. And Charles Morris and Dane Orland and every listener who's in Christ is in a black and white, irreversible, undentable way, totally forgiven, acquitted, innocent, righteous. We're free. Okay, we're not guilty. (laughs) Now, that's the message that we heard in in the good news of the gospel that got us into the Christian life. But a mistake that many of us can make is letting that recede into the background of our mental horizon as we seek now to get down to the hard work of sanctification and growing in Christ. But actually, the New Testament all over the place has the apostles talking to Christians about the good news and about justification. And I just want to say briefly here as we're talking, Charles, that one vital, central, key way that we grow as believers is by waking up every morning and with our coffee and a Bible, remembering that we are totally not guilty. We are innocent. We are righteous because Christ paid the penalty on our behalf. And we are now robed in his own white robes of righteousness. And no matter how I sin today, it cannot affect Hmm. or stain that righteousness that I am robed in. And as I am aware of that and wondering at that and surprised at that, actually, that's one of the key things that fosters growth and transformation from the inside out. Hmm. Better than any systematic theologian that I've had explained <laughs> that before. Well, it's just real Christian living. Yes. It's, it's, it's getting a hold of what Christ meant, Yes, I guess, in saying abide in me, you know? Yes, that's it. Yeah, well, exactly. Let me just throw something out that really struck me in this in this book that that has just been out now a couple of months or so. A famous New Testament scholar once told me, "Too many Christians are binitarian." I don't think that's a real word, but that's the word he used. And by that, um, he meant we talk about God the Father, we emphasize God the Father, God the Son. But where does God the Spirit fit into our lives? Now, this famous New Testament scholar was himself charismatic, but he was not talking about speaking in tongues. So I start reading your book, and all of a sudden, you start talking to me about my need for the Holy Spirit. How do we handle, and now I'm sounding doctrinal, and I don't want to be doctrinal. This is life-changing. Let's let's put the three together here. Do that for me as you did in the book. 
Oh, yeah. Thank you, Charles. I've been on this journey as well um, in growing out of an underappreciation of the Holy Spirit. The Father plans salvation. The Son accomplishes salvation. The Spirit applies salvation. Now, that's kind of just, that's textbook language. Yes, okay. yes, that, yes. That's true. But here's what it means. There is no salvation for me or for you or for any listener if there is only a father and a son and not a Holy Spirit, because then the, the salvation is not actually getting to me. It's not getting into me. It's how I experience it. Here's, a, here's an analogy. Let's say that I'm standing before the Swiss Alps and all their majestic grandeur, um, but I'm blind. I've been blind since birth. Now, objectively, those Alps on that sunny, snowy day are unspeakably magnificent that is objectively true but i'm not experiencing it <laughs> so if the holy spirit came along so to speak and opened my eyes and performed that miracle and i saw them then i would be enjoying and experience experiencing that uh that glory now that's just a faint mm. image of what mm. we're talking about the holy spirit is what opens our eyes and lets us enjoy taste and see that the lord is good mm. Mm. And that's what I need. That's what we need this year. I could read the Bible through forever, but apart from understanding um, Christ in me, um, uh, I would, well, it is experiential. It's not just knowledge. It is experiential. It's, it's living out and then reflecting that glory, that light of Christ to others as well. Dane, early in my marriage, my wife and I were driving on a vacation. And uh, I was doing most of the driving. So she was reading aloud a book by the wife of the late Francis Schaeffer. And you quote a little bit of this book in your new book that I think is really profound. The book is called Tapestry. Do you mind just sharing with me what Edith Schaeffer wrote and then kind of extrapolating on that a little bit for me? Oh, I'd love to, Charles. Yeah, so uh, Edith Schaeffer recounts something that her husband Francis said to her. And uh, here's what Francis Schaeffer said. He said, Edith, I wonder what would happen to most churches and Christian work if we awakened tomorrow and everything concerning the reality and work of the Holy Spirit and everything concerning prayer were removed from the Bible. I don't mean just ignored, but actually cut out, disappeared. I wonder how much difference it would make. And then Edith adds her own comment and says, we concluded it would not make much difference in many board meetings, committee meetings, decisions, and activities. That's an indicting oh. statement. Oh, <laughs> oh! I read that, Jane, where you quoted it, and it brought me back. And how many meetings have I been in uh, as, as an elder at a church or as a leader of a parent church ministry or something? Oh, my goodness. It, it, the, the dagger went into the heart on that. Yeah, because what we so easily operate actually out of the flesh as opposed to the spirit. We operate as if um, all that is going on in our worlds and lives and even our ministry is, at the end of the day, up to us. But what if the supernatural world is, in fact, there and is soaking our lives and this whole world? Uh, what if the Holy Spirit were there? <laughs> uh, are we operating as if he were actually, do I believe the Holy Spirit has the power to soften my next door neighbor's hard heart? Do I really believe, do I believe that by prayer in the Holy Spirit, actually that sin in my life can be killed. Do I believe that the same power 
that raised Jesus from the grave, Romans 8, is within me in all of my uh, oppressive anxiety as I walk into a meeting at work or in this parenting challenge that it just seems so intractable. In other words, Francis and Edith Schaefer are there helping us to say, let's live as if God's actually there. <laughs> this supernatural. And he is not silent. <laughs> yes. Dane, uh, I once had on the program a famous Christian writer and speaker, and we were talking about knowing Jesus, understanding Jesus, and a most interesting thing, I mentioned that Jesus says we are his friend if we are in Christ. And this famous speaker, famous writer, the name would be known, I'm not going to say the name, said, well, Jesus isn't your friend, and started taking off on other directions that Scripture does teach about Jesus. You say in your book, Deeper, Jesus is our friend. You agree or disagree with that person I had on the air? And explain how Jesus is our friend. Well, yes and no. I mean, on the one hand, we don't want to communicate by saying that Jesus is our friend, that there's anything (laughs) irreverent or overly chummy about it. I can probably understand if I hear charitably, I can probably understand what the person was saying. Okay. Now, having said that, we must swallow all that the scripture gives us. And in John 15, he says, I no longer call you servants, but friends. In Luke 7, he's called the friend of sinners. So let's, let's, not, let's not sideline other aspects about Christ. His, his, his infinite glory and radiance and magnificence and eternal, oh, and so on. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the Revelation 1, Jesus Christ, before whom John fell down as if he was dead. He's coming to judge. Yes, the next yes, time. That's right. We believe yes. that. Okay. Um, but this, that same Christ, actually, this is the glory that he calls us his friends. It's that Christ who is our friend. <laughs> it's mm. the Christ who the wrath of the Lamb in Revelation 6 is coming, and the impenitent want mountains and rocks to fall on them rather than face the wrath of the Lamb. That is the one who says, I no longer call you servants, but my friends. And we dare not neglect this glorious reality that Jesus Christ is for those who come to him, is a never-failing friend. Every human friend, even the best spouse, will let us down, and we will let our other friends down. Christ will never, ever Hmm. let down those who are in him, his disciples, his friends. And we are impoverishing people if we tell Christians that you should not in any way think of Christ as your friend. It's a glorious comfort. Hmm. Well, Dane Orland, we could go on a long time, but before we go, Dane, do you just mind asking that the Lord would help me to live my Christian life deeper and everybody who's joined us for this conversation? Oh, absolutely. Only if I can include myself in that same need of prayer, Charles. Let's pray together, friends. Our Father in heaven, we open our hearts to you right now, wherever any of us is at, wherever we are listening wherever we are in our in the true state of our soul where we are numb or bored or exhausted or fried or at our wits end or discouraged or stuck in sin and we ask that but 
by your Holy Spirit, you would enable each one of us more deeply than ever in 2022 to note the unsearchable riches of Christ, as Ephesians 3 says. The this, the riches of Christ that we will never hit bottom on, <laughs> but which we will dive into for all eternity, and we get to begin wading into that glorious reality now. Let us see the beauty and the wonder of the endless mercy of Jesus Christ for sinners and sufferers. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Dane, thank you so much for joining me here on the program today. It's been great having you back. And uh, I think this is your best book yet. I really appreciate that, Charles. I always, always enjoy talking with you, brother. God bless you. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. And I also want to thank Dane Ortland for sharing such a unique and beautiful description of how we can all grow in our faith when we go deeper into the gospel and fix our eyes on Jesus. Just like his grandfather, the late Ray Ortland, who was the speaker on this program before me, Dane is a true encourager. He even sounds like his grandfather. And when you read his new book, Deeper, Real Change for Real Sinners, I know you'll be encouraged as well. Remember, if you want to read or listen to a sample of his new book, just Go to haventoday.org to learn more. And if you want to hear more conversations like this, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, why don't you get the word out by leaving a five-star review? You can also go to haventoday.org and sign up for our weekly email and discover more episodes posted on the blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Mm-hmm.